Welcome to Victory GP. We're excited you've joined us, and we hope you're impacted and inspired by today's message. All right, so today we are talking about special seats. Special seats. And uh, this is one of these anomalies for me, is, is uh, the concept of special seating at different events. And why sometimes we want special seats and sometimes we don't. Like I was checking online last night, not because I'm a, you know, monster sports fan in any way, um, but checking out the price of tickets to the current hockey games and the situations going on. I was like, I was like Googling the battle for Alberta. And then Wayne tells me it's called the battle of Alberta. We are the ones that are battling for Alberta. Uh, Hockey players are in the battle of Alberta. So we're contending in the spirit. They're contending on the ice. But you know, the price of tickets at present, you can pay anywhere up to like three, $4,000, depending, which is insane, mind-blowing. And why would somebody do that is that it is of great value to them. But where you sit, it's how, how you can see, how close you are to the action. Where's your, what, what's the, um, the, the position that you can be in in engaging the game that's in front of you? But then we have this other thing that happens, and anybody who has ever planned a wedding or a special event knows my frustration with this. When you reserve a block of seats for family and close friends and nobody sits in them, and then what happens is you've got the front row of the people who actually, you know, are immediately part of the event, and then a dead space, and all the relatives sitting behind because they didn't know they were supposed to sit there. And it's this weird thing that hap- happens at funerals. It happens at like major events. Um, most of us have said at some point in time, I hate sitting at a head table. I don't like to be in front of everybody. We have this awkwardness about it. So people at a special event will avoid the special seats. But when we are paying for them, when we think there's great value, we will be very happy to sit in the special seats. And if somebody gave you a $3,000 ticket, you will either show up or you will make sure somebody shows up, but you are not going to leave that seat empty, right? When you come to another event and you don't really, uh, you know, you're not engaging with that thought process, you're likely to leave the seat empty. So today we're going to lean into that. I, I think it's so interesting. The reasons... You know, we've walked through this at different times. I'll, I'll like, you know, we, we've done, you know, celebrations of life, funerals, weddings, or whatever, and I'm coming in, and just before the thing, I'm like, are the family not here yet? Oh, no, they're all here. Where are they? Row eight. Like, sitting back there. And so there's a few things, like the why of it. I started asking, why are they there? Number one reason is they don't know that they're supposed to sit in the front. They don't know. There's, there's just a lack of knowledge. I didn't know I was supposed to sit there. Most of us internalize. We look at, we see reserved seating and we go, well, that must be for somebody important. And we don't realize that maybe it might be us. And so they don't know. They, nobody told them they were supposed to sit there. Nobody actually passed on the, the memo that Auntie Bertha is supposed to sit in row two, you know, whatever. So she doesn't know. She's just sitting somewhere. She's sitting where she can get the best picture of the bride. Honestly, that's, she, she doesn't know she's supposed to sit at the front. The second reason is identity. So a lot of times, especially like at funerals or, or special events um, that are planned, functions that are planned, identity means it's for, it's for special people that are like special to the host, special to the people that are putting on the event. And maybe you didn't know that they thought of you that way. So you're like, oh no, we're just, we're just friends. But you don't realize that they consider you a dear friend. 
You don't realize that they consider you of, of great value in their lives. And so you leave that for the important people, but you don't realize that in their eyes you are important, right? So it's an identity issue. Or the third reason is self. I, maybe I know I'm supposed to sit there. Maybe I know that you think I'm important, but I really don't feel comfortable sitting up there. I hate feeling on display. I don't feel comfortable sitting in front of other people. I don't feel, I don't feel like it's, you know, it's just awkward for me sitting in those places. So I'd rather sit back here. So it's self it's self-viewing. Um, it's looking at what, I'm, what do I feel? Do I feel like I'm comfortable in that place? Do I understand the value that I have to you? Do I understand that I'm supposed to sit there? So we're going to lean into this in the things of God today, which is very interesting. Basically, the difference with concerts, events, you know, plays, dramas, that kind of stuff, the reason people will pay more for the better seats is they get the value of it. And if they pay for it, they know that they belong to sit there. So if you've bought, you know, Wayne and I a few years ago went to the Hollywood Bowl. And uh, back when travel was happening and life was good. It was this thing where we, we like... I mean, we don't, you, you hear about the Hollywood Bowl. It's this place where there's these open air concerts and it's just amazing. Um, and, and you go on the map and you book your seats and there's obviously the down close expensive seats and there's right next to the orchestra pit and then there's up in the nosebleed section and whatever. So, I mean, we were definitely not going to pay five or $700 to sit close to the band, although we would have loved to. So we bought the, not the cheapest seats, but the mid-range seats, Right. We all know that that's what you do. If, if, if you can, you don't buy the cheapest seats, but somewhere, somewhere in the middle. So we bought, um, you know, I think there was like four sections, and so we bought the second to cheapest seats. And we get in there, and it's like, it's a wooden bench, like railway ties with numbers in front of them, and you just sit on a wooden bench, like way off in the Thule's, but it's still awesome, but I'm like... Do you know the difference between the mostly cheap seats and the really cheap seats was just a higher chunk of wood, but the, we all heard the same. It was crazy. And what you get when you pay five or six or $700 is a chair, a real chair to sit in. That's, that's brilliant. But if you have those seats, like now that we know, if we ever had the down there seats, we would never miss using those tickets. We would be in those seats. Rain or shine, we would be in those seats because we know the value of them. So we need to understand what, obviously what we're talking about this morning, if you haven't picked up already, is where we are seated with Christ. What is the seat that we belong in? What is the spot that is ours? What has been paid for for us? And are we sitting in it? Do we value it? Do we understand where it is and why it is? And so last week we talked about coming up higher and uh, we talked about, you know, some of the things surrounding it. We talked about the, the how of it. How do we come up higher? How do we engage God's presence? How do we come into that place with him? We talked about what it is, what is coming up higher. It's in the presence of God. It's stepping out of base level thinking and stepping into kingdom thinking, God kind of thinking. And we talked about the who of it. Who can do it? Who can come up higher? Anybody who knows Jesus. Anybody who has a relationship with him, anybody who has said yes to God. But now today we want to talk about the why of it. And it's not just for my benefit. I mean, I do benefit, but there's more. There's a why of why I engage the higher levels with God. And this is the thing that we're talking about with this, you know, like Johnny and Juliana just saying, this hot or cold, the little fire or the big blazing fire. The difference matters to the world around us. And, and we have to engage this. Uh, 
Colossians 3, 1 and 2, and I read this last week, so I'm going to pick up with that in the Message Bible. And I don't even know if I sent this to you, Mia. But Colossians 3, 1 and 2 in the message says, So if you're serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. There you go. Pursue the things which Christ, over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground. And I think that that's a huge key right there. Shuffle along with eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. That chunk right there, that is worth meditating on through our daily lives. Like I think you could spend weeks just meditating on that passage, dig it out in different translations. But essentially it's saying that there is bait for us to get caught in the right here, right now, but the real action is happening above. The real action is happening where Christ is and there's a trickle down. There's stuff that's happening in the spiritual realm that we have to engage. But if we're distracted by what's right in front of us, we will miss it. And so when you look at the things like right now, um, Canada's on this like weird trajectory of just signing up for whatever, wherever, whoever. And, and, and we, we look at the, like, it just feels like it's um, like we're on a water slide and it's just unstoppable. The only solution is for God's people to rise up and, and handle our position, handle our assignment in God. You can see it more distinctly right now in the U.S. And so some of the things that are being voted on, like we, for instance, we're so far down the rabbit hole on things like abortion where we have no law. There is, there is no limitation. There's no boundaries. We are right there with North Korea and China. Like we have, we've, we felt off the wagon sometime back and it's going to take a miracle to get back on. But right now the U.S. is beginning to vote and different states are voting where is abortion legal and where is it not and to what point. And some states are absolutely ruling it out and some states are saying we want to, we want to legalize up to full-term abortion. Seriously, what is that? That is not a people issue. Nobody in their right mind thinks that, but spiritual force of wickedness in heavenly places do, right? So the stuff that's happening, um, I saw a, a video with, um, now I'm forgetting his name. Gary, you sent it to me. Sean Foyt, there you go. Where he was talking about how this past COVID season, and I'm not getting into any of his stuff, but you know, out doing worship things and whatever, and some of the protesters that came to counter protest them um, from different groups, um, he said it was so demonic, like you could tell it wasn't people. Like they would be worshiping and leaving a worship service, and there were people throwing buckets of blood on them when they left. They had children that were being pepper sprayed. They had, you know, just violent, violent things, which you know that's not even reasonable. Like if, if you're protesting something and you want your thoughts heard, that's not reasonable. But what is it? There is, there is forces that go on around us that we must be aware of. And unless we're a passionate church, we are just easy food for the enemy. We are easy targets. And we have this opportunity in this moment to come alive, to come ablaze, and to see things actually begin to change. And again, I'm not just talking about political stuff in any way. I'm talking about life. Where evil seems to be triumphing, we need to see light dispel the darkness. We need to see an answer from in God's house. We need to see God's people passionately believe what it is that God has called 
called us to do and be and to take our spot, to take our seat. So we need to understand this special seating. And special seating, you know, when we talk about an event, that kind of thing, we're talking about uh, positional leadership. We're talking about, you know, when, when you have a funeral, you have a wedding, you respectfully honor the family that is sitting at the front and you let them lead the way. When they leave the building, then you leave the building. When they come into the building, you come into the building. When they stand, you stand. When they sit, you sit, right? And that's not just polite, that's actually a governmental kind of thing. And when we talk about the seat of power or the seat of government, that is the rulership. It's not an actual chair per se. If we're talking the, the, the you know, kingdom areas on earth, yes, it is where you know, the place from which there is a throne, where there is a king or a queen or a ruler. But essentially it means the place from which decisions and governmental moves are taken. It's the place where the buck stops there. Something is passed, something is not passed, something is allowed, something is not allowed. It's why when we say we need like a move of God in Alberta, we pray over Edmonton. Why? Because the seat of power is there. There's a, there's a, a place, an actual location where decisions are made. There's things happening, but it actually starts with the grassroots stuff. It happens with who we vote for and what we write letters about and, and what we're praying for. And that's in the natural. Kingdom-wise, there is a seat of power that God sits on. He is King of Kings, Lord of Lords, above all. He is the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow. That's not just wishful thinking and our King's better than your King. It's like he actually is the victorious one, right? He has a seat of power. And I want to just look at a couple quick scriptures just to give you some ideas on this as we walk through today. We're going to decide for ourselves where we want to be seated. So I talked about the, the, the issues with people not taking their seats. How it reflects in the natural is the issues of knowledge, identity, and self. Essentially, that knowledge. I didn't know I was supposed to sit there. Identity. I didn't know you saw me that way. Or self. I don't feel comfortable up there. I think, Mia, we've got those for the screen if anybody's taken notes. I didn't know I was supposed to sit there. I didn't know you saw me that way and I don't feel comfortable that way. So when we talk about the things of God, when we talk about what is our role in the kingdom, what is one of the things that we're supposed to do? How do we operate? Where do we operate from? If we keep our eyes on the things of the earth and we are concerned about how I feel about it, what I want, oh, I don't feel valuable. I don't feel like you see me. I don't feel like I belong there. And I don't understand. I stay ignorant of what's going on. I will miss my responsibility in this age. Yeah. Do you know what's so interesting? Because, I mean, honestly, Wayne knows I say this way too much. I'm like, another news report comes out or whatever. I'm like, oh, come, Lord Jesus. Like, Serious, like, honestly, because that's, that's my first thought of like, I don't even know how we're going to deal with this one. I don't know how we're going to respond to that one, whatever. But the bigger thing is, we have been fashioned to live here now. You were picked to live here now. Meaning God has put in you what he needs to have in you for his purposes in this hour. God knows the end from the beginning. He knew exactly how pooch things were going to be right now. And he picked you to be here. 
you can either whine and hide or you can fight and take ground, but the, there is really no neutral position, right? So we have to go, okay, I'm here now. God, what do you want to do? I am yours. I'm going to stoke the fire. I'm going to choose to shift into your way of seeing, your way of thinking, and I'm going to look at the seats. The remedy for these things are perspective, position, and purpose. Perspective, position, and purpose. The, the difference between knowledge and I don't know I'm supposed to sit there and perspective gives you every right. I've been, you know, Wayne and I've been to those, um, you know, you get a, like an IMAX movie ticket or whatever, the ones where they're actually seats, numbers and whatever. And you know, people are like, they're looking at their seat and they're making sure they're coming up the aisle and they, I think they're in my seat. I think they're in my seat. And you know, there might only be five tickets sold in the whole room, but if you're in their seat, they will ask you to move, you know, and you know, if somebody's in your seat, you will ask them to move. You're not just going to sit somewhere else. Why? Somebody paid for your seat and it's your seat and your rear end is going to sit in that seat and you know it. Why is it when it comes to the things of God and God has paid for us to walk in authority, he's paid for us to sit in his presence, he's paid for us to come into the throne room, we are okay to leave that seat empty. We are okay to say that's somebody else's job. We don't necessarily take possession of what it is God has paid for for us because we don't have the right perspective. God's going to shift that today. We have to understand our position. We have to understand what's supposed to happen from that place. And we have to understand the purpose. So let's just look at the first, the perspective. Looking at it through God's eyes is the right perspective. Looking at it through man's eyes, through an earthly filter, is going to leave you confused and tired and wanting to quit. We have to decide from God's perspective. We have to choose to look from God's perspective. This is why the distractions are there, right? The distractions are there to keep us from knowing who we are, to keep us from knowing what's been paid for, to keep us from knowing what we've been called to. So we have to shift the perspective. I love this verse from Psalm 37. Basically, King David totally got it. He had these prophetic windows with God and he speaks from that perspective. And, and, and multiple different places in the Psalms from different writers, people who had this prophetic God unction. But verse, uh, sorry, Psalm 37, 12 to 13, it says, the wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. And the Lord laughs at him for he sees that his day is coming. I mean, honestly, isn't that a great perspective? <laughs> the wicked plots against the just and gnashes at him with his teeth. Some of us are seeing this very thing happen and we're like, oh my goodness, what is happening? People are plotting. People are doing things. It's evil. There's conspiracies. There's this stuff. There's that stuff. Evil is happening. Doesn't God know? Doesn't God care? God sits where he is and he laughs because he knows what's coming. What a liberating perspective, right? God sees things different than we see things. 1 Samuel 16, 7 is where uh, the prophet Samuel is anointing. He's looking for a king. He's looking at the sons of Jesse. And it says in verse 7, But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance. He's looking at the best-looking, tallest, obvious choice to be king. Do not look at his appearance or his physical stature, because I refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 
So God's perspective is deeper than, better than, clearer than, more accurate than, more lasting than what we can see right around us. We won't survive this well, this current season and what's in front of us, if we don't choose to have God's perspective on it. There's another chunk. Psalm 2 is just awesome. But essentially in verse 1, it says, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? And then it goes on about all the evil things that are being planned. And verse 4 says again, he who sits in the heavens shall laugh. Why do the nations rage? Why are the people plotting? God's like, yeah, I know the end of the game. I know how this plays out. I am ultimately the supreme ruler of the earth. So this is the perspective that we want to have. And today we're going to shift through and walk through a pretty good chunk in Ephesians. So if you've got your Bibles at the ready, you're going to want to follow along with this. And sometimes, you know, for those who feel like I don't actually like to follow along, I mean, your Bible app or whatever, but Bible is good. Um, It is good for us to see things and hear things and say things like that process. We need to roll it through as many different ways as possible. So this is why we put it on the screen for you as well. Follow it along. Like when you take it in through your ears and through your eyes, it has a better chance of sticking. But we want this to stick. For those who are new to the things of God, Ephesians is the battle chapters. Like it's, it's where we get the, the breakdown of how we do life from a God perspective, from a kingdom perspective. We live here, but we operate from there. And so this is how we see this. Ephesians is this explanation of how things work. And we're going to pick up with uh, Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. And this is where Paul is, is making his introduction to the fullness of walking in God's plan. And he starts off in verse 15, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, that's something that we pray around here all the time. It's that we have access to it, but we pray that the spirit of wisdom and revelation would help things take root, that there is an actual unlocking of what's on the inside, that that you experience it in a way that it can't be stolen from you. That the eyes of your understanding, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of the calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance, where? In the saints, not for the saints, to the saints, about the saints, in the saints, which means some of us are walking around carrying treasure that we don't know. We don't even know what we have, but we're hoping somebody's going to do something, but you may carry the answer. It's huge. The inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Those verses right there are a radical game changer when we grasp them. The idea that God is, Jesus is, seated in the heavenly realms far above Every principality, power, might, and dominion, every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. Meaning not in heaven when we get there, but right now, Jesus has triumphed. 
Right now, he is above every power, principality, every evil thing, every host of wickedness. We, we have this thing, you know, a lot of people noticed um, this past week, you know, the signs around the, the uh, city, you know, the, the psychic fair is here or whatever. It's amazing how many Christians are like, oh, it's going to be a rough week. Far above all principality, power, mind, dominion, and every name that is named. I mean, where are we seated? Who are we seated with? There is really nothing to be afraid of. We just need to know whose we are and where we belong. And so he's seated in this place. And verse 22, and he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So Jesus is seated in heavenly places, far above all principalities, power, every host of wickedness. He has been given to be the head of the body, which is the church, and all things are under his feet. So if you are the body, where are all things? Under us under us. It means that we are not intimidated by this. We recognize that we are seated in heavenly places and there is an authority to walk on these things. Satan will be crushed underneath our feet shortly. There's a move that is supposed to happen when God's people refuse to be intimidated by the enemy and go on the offensive instead of the defensive and get our heads right. We have to understand that Jesus said it is finished and he meant it and we have to shift our perspective to match his. If he's the head over the body and we have the mind of Christ, we should be thinking like he's thinking. I am very sure when we went into prayer meetings this week, Jesus was like, oh guys, there is a psychic convention in GP. You know, shutter the windows, close the doors, just ride it. No, Jesus is like, so watch what I can do. Watch who I am. Look what I have. Look what's available. Look at my power. Look at my might. Man, we got to shift our perspective on this. We have to understand. Now, it literally says in all of those places that he's seated in heavenly places, right? Verse 20, he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places. Now, just to be really clear about this, the word heavenly places, it's repeated there and then all through the book of Ephesians, it literally is a Greek word that means the sphere of spiritual activities. In the sphere of spiritual activities, where things are really happening, the stuff that we see around us, it's the product, right? We understand that. The stuff that we see happen around us, we're not, we're not living this life and hoping to add Jesus into it. Jesus is living in the center of spiritual activities and the product of what's going on in the spiritual realm we see in the natural. It's why we literally see in the, in the places where God is exalted, there is an up, uptake of um, like prosperity, blessing. Literally, often the land is blessed. There's a shift in the atmosphere surrounding a move of God. And in the same way where there's a, a shift towards demonic flow, where there's a shift towards the occult, there will be a death even to the land in the atmosphere. It's tangible. You can feel it. And so we want to make sure that we understand that Jesus is seated in heavenly places far above everything that is in that seat of power. Ephesians 6, 12, you guys know this one. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. 
So the wrestling match sure appears to be right here. I mean, when, when you've got somebody saying something to you or you've been confronted with some, you know, awful opposition or there's been some sort of an attack of some kind, there's been, you know, death, there's been like whatever is going on and it just feels like all hell's breaking loose. And oftentimes we'll use that word. It feels like all hell broke loose. But then we'll say, you know, and these people need to be held accountable. Well, no, literally all hell broke loose <laughs> and it needs to be handled in the spiritual realm. We don't handle it from the natural. We don't handle it from the perspective of the right here, right now. We handle it from a higher place. We really, truly don't treat prayer as the last resort. We step into the heavenly realm and we do battle in that place and we enforce the victory of Christ. Jesus is not below anything. He's not contending right now. He is not fighting a battle. He has won the battle. It is done from his point. He has handled everything that's going to be handled. He has disarmed the power of the enemy, the, the uh, forces of wickedness, but we often rearm them due to the fact that we choose to believe that this is all that there is. And so we'll live in fear. We'll walk in torment. We'll partner with the enemy and we rearm the thing that Jesus died to disarm. It's time for us to understand how this actually works. And I, and some of you might be like, holy cow, I was just looking for a happy you know, it's May long weekend. It's supposed to be celebration. I don't know. Nothing to me feels more celebratory than knowing I already won. Right? I mean, I can either sit here and whine and duke things out in the natural, or I can recognize that there's already been a victory and I choose it. I choose to partner with that thing. So I actually find it very, um, you know, encouraging and uplifting and all of that stuff. So we are looking for this, this perspective that shifts for us and pulls us out of the mud. The next thing then is the position, and this is big. So it goes on and it says that Jesus is all of these things, and none of us would ever probably question that. You know, when I say Jesus is above every other name, we're all like, yes, amen. But then it goes on, and it actually talks about us. So we have to understand our position. Chapter 2, starting at verse 1, and we're going to just go down to verse 6 here. And you, he made alive, who were dead in the trespasses of sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. You once walked there. You once lived there. You once had to deal with this, this realm from that perspective. You once were literally punching stuff in the face all the way through just trying to survive. It once was your reality. You once were the walking dead, but Jesus came to make you alive. He's come that you would have life and life abundantly. He's come to help you lift out of that thing. He's, called to, he's come to call you into the living in the light, in the living of purpose, in the living of power, in the place where God God is actually on the throne of your heart and you are above this garbage. He's called us into this place, right? So the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. Man, you look at the things around you and you're like, how can people do that? Yeah, without Jesus, you're a scumbag too. That's basically what that says. 
Like he's brought us into that place of wholeness. He's brought us out of that place of darkness. None of us do well on our own. Verse four, but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And here we go. And raised us up together and made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. My position is there. My seat, my place where I belong is there. If I want to live down here, if I want to function down here, if I want to think down here, I'm going to have to realize that I'm actually going to be living in that place where there is death, there's destruction, literally conducting myself according to the lusts of my flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. That's the only way to really survive in this zone is to Get all you can, do it all, fight for what's yours. That is the only way to sort of semi-survive. But if you want to win here and live the victorious life, then you have to operate from there because that's where your seat is. Come on. You don't seem very excited about that. Yeah, come on. I have a seat with my name on it. I got the number for it. I have been given this. And let me tell you, it was a costly seat. Talk about, is it a 20 bucks seat or a $500 seat? It is the costliest seat there is. There is a seat that can only be bought with blood. There is a seat that can only be bought with the death and sacrifice of a pure, spotless one. And it was paid. And it was paid for. And sometimes it must really be confusing to people around us when we say that we've been bought by the blood of Jesus. We've been rescued from, from darkness and brought into light. And then we live like the devil on the earth how confusing really I am meant to live from my seat and operate here I'm going to have a different perspective I've been called to a different position so it says I've been raised together the word raised there means to rouse to revive and to resemble so I have been roused to sit with God. I have been revived to sit with God. And I resemble somebody who belongs in that seat. I resemble the king of glory. I resemble the one who paid for me. I resemble the one who died for me. I resemble the one who lived again for me. I resemble the one who loves me. And because I do, nobody questions whether I have a seat. Nobody's actually asking for my ticket because it looks like I belong there. I look like I belong there. I've been raised together with him to sit in heavenly places. And again, heavenly places is the realm of operation. But it's interesting because it says he made us to sit together. That's a weird phrase, right? He's made us to sit together. And the word literally means to give a seat in company with. So to give a seat in company with, I've been made to sit together. It's really like when God is saying that he, he prepares a table for us in the presence of our enemies. It's not just a solo seat. It's not just I am the God of me and I go into the spiritual realm and I do stuff. No, I have been called to be seated with him and it's a partnership. It's a thing that he invites me to sit with him. I'm made to sit. I've been given an invitation to come and sit with him in the realm where stuff actually happens. 
Isn't that great? Like, how can we not be excited about that? That is so much more than God, I just need to get through this week. I need to survive. Now, it might start there. But I'm telling you, once you recognize that there is a seat for you, that Jesus is far above, and you get, you step into his perspective, and you sit in your place. I understand this is all figurative, right? Like this is the descriptions, the best way that we can understand it. But I take the spot that's been assigned to me with him, and now we look at what's going on in the earth. And it shifts my perspective dramatically. It shuts out the intimidation of the enemy. It, it, it reveals the lies. It reveals the deception. I know when I'm seated with him and I'm talking with him about this, his perspective, we would be the ones who are sitting there going, the, the wicked are thriving and they're plotting and they're doing all this stuff. And God's like, hey, come sit with me. Let's have a laugh about this. Because guess what's coming? Wouldn't you rather sit in that place with him and have a laugh about what he's about to do then sit down here in the muck and the mire depressed discouraged broken in fear waiting it out we belong somewhere else we have been given the opportunity to step somewhere else this is a seat that is not literal but it's uh, it's positional uh yeah not literal it's legal so it's a legal spot it's a place that i belong it's a place that is right for me. It's not just something that I, I, you know, choose. It's something that has been paid for. So it actually is this shift, not a literal, I have to sit in this spot, but legally I have a right to step into this atmosphere and make some decrees, do some declarations, handle some stuff in warfare, pray through some things, engage God, get his heart, hear his voice, see from his perspective, I actually have the right to do that. So when we talked about the, the, the thing when people don't sit in the seats that have been saved for them at events, the second one is the identity. I, don't, I didn't know that you thought that way about me. I didn't know if that was my spot. Identity-wise, biblically speaking, this is your spot. Even if you feel like you're not worthy of it, even if you feel bad, even if you feel like you make mistakes, even if you feel like you fail, you did not get the seat. You did not get the ticket to that seat because you did anything right in the first place. Somebody else paid for it for you and it's yours. Like, that's amazing. It means that it makes no sense to sit and wallow and, and whine about who I think I am and what I feel like I might be and I'm, oh, I'm, not, I'm not worthy, whatever. That seat belongs to you. It was paid for. Why would you leave it empty? Right? Why would you leave it empty even if you think you're not worthy of it? So that is the question then. If it's a legal thing, I may legally own the seat, but am I occupying it? Have I filled my chair? Have I taken my position? It's my seat, so it's not gonna be given to somebody else. So let's just say, let's just say in a city our size, let's just say there's 10,000 believers in Jesus. People who are born again, they know Christ, they have a seat. 10,000 people operating in kingdom principles operating from the place that is above all powers, principalities, forces of wickedness, you know, all the, all the stuff that's mucking around. If there was 10,000 people that have seats that are, can see from God's perspective, 
They can see through his eyes. They can, they can get the wisdom of heaven. They can declare things. They can pray things. They can, they can see from a heavenly viewpoint what should happen, what needs to happen. What if there's 10,000 seats in a city our size? That's a, that's a critical mass, right? That's, that's a huge amount. But what if only 200 of those 10,000 people actually take their seats? It doesn't change what's possible. It change what's, changes what's happening. It changes what the outcome is. So if you were the devil and you knew there's 10,000 seats, there's, you know, maybe 15, 20%. I mean, I'm just spitballing numbers, but you knew that there was a mass and you knew that Jesus has won and you knew that he has power over all the forces of the enemy and you knew that, that uh, people didn't have to be perfect to sit in their seat. They had to receive the perfect Christ. If you knew what was possible when God's kids operate in his authority, what would you do? You would make sure they don't get their butts to the seats. You would make sure that they were so distracted by the noise and the clutter around them that they forget to go into the heavenly places and find out what God says about it. You wouldn't worry about fighting God anymore. You wouldn't worry about the big ticket battle. You would worry about the distractions on the superficial land perspective. And you would look to just keep people busy enough to not engage God. Literally, if we pause and think about this, this is not, you know, either this makes sense or none of this makes sense. Honestly, either when Jesus died and said it's finished and he rose again and he took the keys of hell and death from the enemy and he's seated in heavenly places, far, either that's true or none of this works at all. Like we have to pause and think about that. Honestly, a little bit of Jesus and a little bit of love is not enough. He's all or nothing. And if he's seated in heavenly places far above, and it literally says he has raised us up together to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, aren't we responsible then to live from there? Aren't we responsible to engage that? Isn't that the place that we belong? Isn't that the place that's right for us? And if so, are we choosing to engage it? I find this a sobering question. I may legally own the seat, but am I occupying it? Like it's kind of a convicting question, right? Am I filling up that seat? Am I taking my place? Am I engaging the spirit of God? Am I trying to solve problems or am I going to him to find the solution to the problems? Am I trying to reason with people and negotiate or am I asking from God the wisdom to know what's really going on? It's why when the, the prophet Elijah was, um, you know, in that city and they were surrounded and the city was under siege and he wasn't really worried, everybody else was because clearly we're all going to die. And Elisha says, ask God to reveal to his servant what's really going on. And all of a sudden he sees the army of angels and he understands why Elisha's not freaking out. Why are we freaking out? Sometimes I believe it's because we haven't taken our seat and we're not looking at it from his perspective. We don't realize what is actually going on. God is at work and he really is raising up a body that partners with him, that walks with him, that is his hands and feet. And so let's finish up with this final bit then, it's purpose. And purpose is this interesting 
thing because purpose, if we don't understand our purpose, we will look at ourselves. And so this was the first thing, one of the reasons why people don't sit in the special seats at events. I don't feel comfortable up there, which is I, I don't feel comfortable there. I don't feel like I belong there. I feel like people will be looking at me. I feel awkward. There's this um, parable, sort of, it's, been, it's gone around to all kinds of different circles, but the story of uh, the parable of the bricklayers, it's called, but it's actually rooted in a real story. Apparently in the 1660s, there was this huge fire um, in London and St. Paul's church was burnt. St. Paul's cathedral was burnt. And in the rebuilding of it, there was this famous architect called Christopher Wren and he was in charge of building it. And they had rallied as many skilled laborers as possible to get the thing rebuilt as quickly as possible. And the one day he's walking in and it's like 1667, I think, or 16, what is it, 60, 1670, sorry. He's walking um, into the cathedral and going about today's work. And there's three different guys working on the bricklaying around the outside walls. And he asks them, what are you doing? And the first guy he asked, he said, I'm laying bricks. And the second guy, he asked, walked a little further down the wall. The second guy he asked, he said, I'm building a wall. And the third guy he asked said, I'm building the house of God. And uh, the perspective is, they say, like, really, if you're just looking at it as labor and what you do with your time and your life, the first guy had a job, the second guy had a career, and the third guy had a calling, right? It all looked the same on the outside. They're all laying bricks, but what happens internally? And the story goes on to say the guy who actually felt like he was building the house of God went on to lead a crew of laborers that finished the work. Like he, he actually rose, he was exalted in his position and it came from a heart perspective. He knew what he was doing mattered. And so when we don't know what, what matters, we don't know what's really going on. We don't know the purpose. Oftentimes we're just, we're just laying bricks. And it's just, it's just activity. I'm just doing this stuff. I need to know that what I'm doing matters. We have to understand that there is a kingdom purpose. Why would I go and recognize the seat that's been given to me? Why would I spend time higher? Why would I pull myself out of the mess and allow God to show me things? Why would I decide to turn my face and pursue him? Because there's a purpose. Because there's actually something for me to do. There's something that only I can do. It's my seat. It's my spot. The interesting thing about perspective, there's this book um, called Grit by Angela Duxworth, and it's, it's super good. It's talking about people who survive and, and thrive and, you know, different ways of doing life. But the people who will always get back up when they get knocked down, the people who do extraordinary things, they, she calls them gritty, people that have grit. And one of the major contributors of grit is a sense of purpose. And she says she's interviewed thousands and thousands and thousands of people, and they do these grit questionnaires and whatever. And uh, the people that score the highest on purpose she goes back and asks them, then, what, what, is, what is your purpose? Like, what are you doing with your life? And she says, not just sometimes, but 100% of the time, they always say, um, I'm doing this because it affects this. It affects these people. It's going to change future. She said, the difference is between people who walk in purpose and the people that don't is the people that don't talk about self and the people that do walk in purpose talk about others. They understand that what they do matters to others. They understand that what they do is going to have an effect that's bigger than ours. I think sometimes what the, what the problem is when we're dealing with, you know, a church that's quiet or silent or depressed or broken down or, you know, just hanging in the shadows, we forgot our purpose. Yeah. 
You know, it's like Sheldon said this morning, when we give, you know, we're not just like, you know, trying to build some grandiose. We get to, we have the purpose of being an answer to the things, the brokenness that's around us. We get to serve. We get to like give. We get to bless. We are meant to be a blessing. We're not the ones just looking for a blessing because that's self. We get to be a blessing. That's others. So this is what the kingdom seat is about. It's about actually affecting change. It means that when I look around me and it looks like hell has broken loose, it's about time for heaven to make a decree. It's about time for heaven to move. It's about time for God's kids to say, not on my watch. You planted me here. Now you put a little fight in me. And I got to tell you, Grand Prairie people are a little more fighty than other places. Um, even within our province, you're a scrapper for a reason. Pick the right fight for heaven's sakes. P point it in the right direction. Get the right weapons. Get the perspective that you need to have because others are depending on it. Others are depending on the kingdom of God advancing. Others are depending on the fact that God's kids know who they are and what they can and cannot do. God's kids know that the answer to the problems of the world is Jesus Christ. That the thief is here to kill, steal, and destroy, but there is life and life abundantly that's available. And when I see death and destruction all around me, I need to be a deliverer of life right so this is the purpose let's go back to Ephesians 2 we'll pick up in verse uh, 4 again but God who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus now here verse 7 that in the ages to come, he may show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. In other words, this is all him. You're, it's not arrogant to say, I'm, I'm called for something important. I'm called to be, you know, somebody who walks in power. I'm called to be somebody who is a carrier of light and life. That's not arrogance. That's wisdom. It's a revelation that I only have access to this by the grace of God. Not because I have anything in and of myself. Not of works lest anyone should boast. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Literally, this is the same passage. The fact that Jesus died, rose again above all powers, principalities, forces of wickedness in heavenly places. The fact that he is the triumphant one is in the same passage as, and he prepared you for good works. Isn't that fascinating? It means that it's not just a belief system, it's a life-altering assignment that I've stepped into. There actually is something I am supposed to do with my life. There actually is a place I'm supposed to go. There are people I'm called to minister to. My purpose is broader than me. The, the earthly realm will say to you, what, what, you know, are you feeling fulfilled? Do you like it? Are you happy? Are you making a lot of money? Is it all going well for you? The kingdom of God says, wow, this is what we get to do. I am partnering with King Jesus and I am going out and I am doing the work of the ministry wherever I go. It is not just left to you know, pastors and prophets and Bible study teachers. It is every single one of us. There's no qualifications in this. It's you. We all 
have been raised together, made to sit in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that God can show off essentially. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us. That when, when the broken, the lost, the hurting, the damaged see the goodness of God in my life, it's a testimony to who he is. If I'm walking around going, my life just sucks too. We're all in the same boat. Get a different boat. Like, <laughs> come on. We all are in this, we're, we're all on the same lake, but we're not in the same boat. We actually have a captain who has already conquered. I'm in the winning boat. I want to stay there. Yep. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Ephesians 3.10, if you just look to the other side of your page there, and it's talking about this revelation of the mystery of God's grace. Verse 10 says that to the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church, by the church to the principalities and powers in the heavenly places. According to the eternal purpose which he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Oh, the devil's out to get me. Then tell him, made known by the church to the forces of wickedness, what it's really about. It is our job. Right? How exciting is that? And I'm not saying that we go demon chasing. I'm saying that when we're confronted with the devil, we make it known what the purposes of God are. We make it known whose we are. We enforce the victory of Christ. We're not in that kind of a battle where we're trying to win something. We are enforcing what's already been done. It is our goal. It is our privilege to get to enforce and to make known what it is that God has already paid for. It's fascinating. We're going to wrap it up with this, Mark 16, 19 to 20. And this is the very end of, of the book when Jesus is raised up into heaven. And we see the same terminology used here. And it says, then, so after the Lord had spoken to them, he was raised up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. What does that mean? He took his seat of governing authority which is above everything. There is no contest anymore. He sat down. This is the place from which business happens. This is the place from which things change upon the earth. It's the place where the real activity is so that it manifests on the earth. So Jesus went to the right hand and he sat down. He took his place. And then it says in verse 20, and they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them, and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Literally, he was seated in heavenly places. Ephesians tells us they were seated with him. And so they being left on the earth under his instructions, under the authority. See, walking in the kingdom, right? Like the kingdom advancement is showing where the domain of the king is. And it's wherever God sends you. So in the domain of the king, these guys went out, the Lord working with them, right? Not for them. Working with them. And everywhere they went, the Bible tells us everywhere the sole of your foot goes, I've given to you. Everywhere they went was the domain of the king. 
And they began to declare and preach the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and signs and wonders followed. Signs and wonders are not intended to be a Sunday morning thing. They are meant to be a seven-day thing where you are, where God sends you, where you're walking in the domain of the king, where you are his ambassador, where you go out and you might have somebody who you work with who drives you insane. You might have issues with your children. You might have issues with your neighbors. You might have issues with, you know, all sorts of situations around you. But when you take your place and you take your seat and go, okay, God, what are we going to do about this? And then we go out, the Lord working with us, signs and wonders following. This should be a natural thing. Some of us are so bent at God about the fact that we haven't seen enough signs and wonders yet. Well, where are you seated? Right? Sometimes we're like, I prayed and nothing happened. You know, if you're seated with him, you'll know how to pray. You'll know whether something's supposed to happen. You'll understand the timeline better. You'll be able to be at rest on the inside and you won't walk around another 20 years cursing God because you feel like he didn't answer your, your, your uh, prayer. We have to make sure that we understand the seating process. If I want to see God move in this world, I have to move. If I want to see the declarations and the decrees from heaven enforced on the earth, I have to enforce them. If I want to see the forces of enemy pushed back and darkness confronted by the light, I have to push it. I am in this seat. I don't go just chasing stuff down, but when I am in that relationship and I know that I am seated in heavenly places with him far above, and you take out the intimidation factor, you know, if I've got nothing to lose, I'm unmovable. If the enemy can utter threats and accusations and intimidations, I'll move. If I am seated with him in heavenly places and I know whose I am, I know who I am and I know what I'm called to do, I'm not moving. God's called us to this. I'm going to have the worship team come and I want to challenge us with this then. Number one, we need to know him, right? That's the priority. That's the first thing we need to know him. We need to come into relationship with Jesus. Number two, then we need to pursue him. And we talked about that last week. The coming up higher is just pursuing him. It's actually deciding to turn away from the earthly stuff and pursue God. And even if everybody you talk to thinks you're weird, do it anyway. It's, your life may depend on it. Your kid's life may depend on it. There, there may be a massive thing that God's wanting to birth, and he just needs some people who will pay attention and take their seats. And so then third, we occupy the seat. Actually get into that place and start asking God, what is it you want to do for me? Help me see from your perspective. I am in this with you. Not I'm just down here asking Jesus if he'll just like add the seasoning to my life. You be the ketchup, I'll be the burger. Like, you know, he's not the happy flavor on your life. He's the source of your life. He's the whole thing. And so we come and we occupy our seat. And then number four, do what he tells you to do. Whatever that is. But we have no business complaining about stuff we haven't prayed about. Until we get an answer from heaven, we zip it. We find out from him what to do, and then we partner with him from the seat that he's given us. Let's stand together this morning. Yay, God, huh? Yeah. Thank you, Lord. 
I'm just going to pray a blessing over us today before we do our closing song. And we want to just, we want to just recognize that spot. I believe it's kind of a life-altering summer, actually. I think God's giving us this brief little pause because what's coming is so awesome. But it's going to depend. Our experience of the awesome will depend on our engagement, right? It's possible to miss the awesome entirely. But we want to engage with Him. We want to take our seats. So, Lord, this morning, we just thank You. We thank You, Lord, for who You are. We thank You, Lord, for the clarity of your word. Honestly, it's not hard to see. Lord, I thank you for helping us shift our thinking and lean into truth. Lean into your wisdom. Lean into the reality of heaven. And God, for anyone who has felt like they just didn't know that that was how it worked, I thank you that today you are revealing it to them. I thank you, Lord, that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in them and quickens their mortal bodies. God, I thank you that we today, we are seated together with you far above. Lord, I thank you that we don't have to be bogged down by the issues of this life unless we choose to. So God, today we are choosing. We are choosing to step up higher. We are choosing to look to you, God. We are choosing to engage your presence. We are choosing to sit in our seat and occupy it, God. And we are choosing to engage your purpose in our lives. I thank you that every single person in this room and each person watching online, God, each person that knows you can access who it is you've made them to be the calling, the plans, the purposes of heaven. And Lord, I thank you that it helps us to um, understand if we're looking at ourselves, we're not walking in purpose. But if we're looking at how you want to affect others through us, it's purpose. It's who you are. God so loved the world that he gave. I thank you, Lord, that you're calling us to give, to partner with you, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. And you will work with us. Signs and wonders following. Lord, I thank you for what it is you are doing. I thank you for who it is you are. And I thank you for the experience you've invited us into. And Lord, today I just thank you for the seat that we've been given. And we give you the praise for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message from Victory Church Grand Prairie. You can stay connected with us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube by using at VictoryChurchGP. If you have any questions, would like to access our online resources, or would like to sow into this ministry, you can visit us at www.victorygp.com. You can also text to give. Just text 587-207-4387 and follow the prompting. Thanks again for joining us at Victory GP. Reach. Teach. Mobilize.